Hello, and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Socks. And I'm Lori Socks. And today we're joined again by members of the PALS programs. Joining us is co-founder and executive director, Jenny Newberry-Ross, and her mother, Robin, and brother, Jason. We were also joined by Congratulations Project Associate, Grace Wall, and Communications Coordinator, Colton Davies. When we last talked to the group, we focused on the details and origins of their wonderful Congratulations Project. The Congratulations Project, as they stated, is an initiative where adults with Down syndrome write letters to new and expecting parents of a baby with a Down syndrome diagnosis. These letters are designed to inspire, encourage, welcome, and most importantly, congratulate new families. Although we do revisit the Congratulations Project in this episode, we focus more on how the PALS programs as a whole is planning for future camps and some of the more personal, individualized experiences these members have with Down syndrome. We get to hear about the education system from Robin's perspective as a mother and also hear more from Jenny and how growing up with a brother with Down syndrome has shaped her life of advocacy. So let's begin. Jenny and the group, it's so great having you back on the podcast. Thank you guys so much. So COVID-19 shut most things down over the summer. What is the future expectations and plans for the PALS programs? This summer was a little rocky, not exactly what we planned. Uh, We did not run any of our programs this summer. So we have been spending the summer really planning for the future and really rolling out kind of the next strategic steps about where we want to be and how we want to grow. As an organization right now, we're focused on community building, on reaching more campers and more volunteers, specifically from diverse backgrounds that we haven't been able to reach so far. Um, So that's kind of a big part of our expansion plan. We expect to continue to grow. We've ran some numbers. We've been growing at a rate of about 22% per year, um, which is a little bit crazy. So uh, we're going to try and keep keep track of that and uh, continue to bring this program to as many people as possible across the country. Like I said, we have 17 locations right now. We're expanding to uh, more programs in Southern and Northern California. So definitely things coming your way. So Liam can hang on for a couple years and we should have a program in your backyard, we hope. and, uh, and, and continuing to go to grow the Congratulations Project, you know, that's been something that has, you know, started as a way for us to give back, but has now become just this key cornerstone of what we do, uh, an opportunity for our campers and volunteers to reflect on the transformative experience that is PALS and for us to kind of build the next generation of campers. Grace and I were talking a couple days ago, in, uh, in two or three years, we will have the first round of campers of young of children of babies with down syndrome who received letters who will be eligible for camp and so it'll be the now having done the congrats project for 12 years 12 is when we start camp programs we'll actually be able to bring some of those initial letter recipients from our first year to camp and that's been something gosh we've been looking forward to for a long time 22 percent is fantastic it's probably a little daunting 
Well, I think the reason I think that that's great is because it speaks to the fact that our community is being heard and seen and supported. Because when when uh, Liam was very small, I know Stephen and I, we would look at the numbers and go, there are people with Down syndrome, there are children with Down syndrome in this community. Where are they? Like we didn't, you, we didn't. They didn't have a a, a presence. So that to me, twenty two percent is a, a rise of twenty two percent. It's just a, sounds like a great number, and it sounds like some great changes are are happening in the community. A question I had was Jason had mentioned um, his experience in school and some bullying that occurred. I know we're gonna find find them. Right. Uh, <laughs> when advocacy just goes too far, um, but. Liam had a, a brush with that as well. Uh, Sophia did, and and it's um, something that affects you as a parent. I don't know if if Robin, you could talk about how that was handled, and and maybe a little a little insight on how school was handled as well with him, because that's always a huge question for everyone. Yeah, I think um, what was there two years, I guess, between Jenny and Jason. So she kind of always was there you know, paving the way a bit, you know, for him and kind of had an eye out for him. In some instances, you knew, you knew the bullying was there, but you weren't sure he was keying into it as much. So some, some things you could overlook, like you, you see a lot, but there's some that you could overlook. Um, you know, I think all the way through school, we included Jason, you know, as far as um, he was included all the way up to high school. We met resistance all the way. It was like, you know, no, we can't do this. No, we can't do that. And we were constantly, let's try. You know, they always want to start, start here. We were like, let's start here. If we have to, you know, we'll do it that way. So I think it, it kind of comes along with it in a sense. But I think the more Jason is with his typical peers, the more it just becomes a matter of fact is he's just another student. And, you know, and in some cases, like, they did not want to include him in high school. Jason was in, we put him in a, typical social studies class, but not the advanced placement, let's say, class or something. A lot of kids in the typical class just didn't want to do the work. Jason can memorize stuff. He may not be able to do a lot of the reasoning skills, but his memory was so amazing that people wanted him on his team to do the Jeopardy games because he would do flashcards and could pick up things that way. So there were certain points where, you know, a lot of his gifts became apparent and other kids could key into it like, wow, you know, so... I think because, and I see, I've seen it after Jason went all the way through school, I noticed that the district took a step back and they stopped including kids. So I don't, you know, I would have liked to have seen it continued, but I, you know, I think there's still a lot of uh, work to be done as far as that goes. When you speak about included in the class, you just mean inclusion, like being in an inclusive classroom with his peers. He was, yeah, he was in his peers, like when he was at a younger age, um, he may have been pulled for speech. Like if he needed extra help with speech and OT or something, he was there for the other skills. Uh, when we started out, if it was kindergarten and kindergarten was a half day, maybe he stayed a full day. You know, we did half with one and the other. There was a lot of, um, after Jason was born, I didn't go back to work. So there was a lot of whatever he was doing at school, I was kind of reinforcing at home. So as we, you know, continued along that way, he, you know, even when you think of it, when he got to high school, they would include him for, they would pull him for math still and some reading, you know, skills. But what I found is what they were working on in math were skills that he didn't really need to use. He uses a credit card. 
he swipes the card the same way I do. He does not need to know how to count change because I don't count change. Uh, no, not very many people do. I mean, that's a skill. I, I think one of the gifts somebody gave me one time because you, Liam got to a certain point of math and they were like, calculator, ask for a calculator. But they don't tell you. And I, and I think when you say, uh, you know, the district took a step back, one thing that always concerns Stephen and I is when we're talking about inclusion, we fight. And, and, and we, we fight so much that we're trying to find another word because I feel like fight sounds so aggressive, but maybe that's what you have to, you know what I mean? It gets a bad tone, but because, and also it shouldn't be a fight. Um, and I think the unfortunate thing is we're always there advocate, I say advocating for him to be in an inclusive classroom. And, and that's obviously what you did. And so they included you because it's the law. But they don't, the people who don't know to fight and to advocate are lost in the shuffle. Exactly. And I also think when you include them, um, you know, we also had to look at um, Jason's behavior in that situation too. And if, if he was doing something that may not be appropriate, maybe sometimes he had to suffer the consequence because that's the only way he was going to not do that. You know, like if you're going to go up and put your arm around you know, a guy and he doesn't like it, you know, he's probably going to swing. <laughs> but I think that's, that's something that our children aren't allotted. Every other child gets the opportunity to do something and make a mistake and learn the consequence. But there's a, there's a, at the same time, there's a very low bar put there and a huge high bar. Like, uh, this is what we expect of you. But if, if you don't achieve this, then you're, you're judged by it. So there's no, it, the, the equality isn't there. Yeah, we've always found that, that, that Liam uh, seems to, listen, Liam's, Liam's a gorgeous kid who, who I can see how anybody could see and just go, he's awesome, he's adorable, I love him. But that doesn't mean, and I think this is a preset in, in some of society, there's a, a huge percentage, I've said this so many times, there's a huge percentage of society that just wraps their arms around and hugs and nurtures someone with Down syndrome and... We'll let them get away with anything. And and that happens in the school system too. And it, it does nothing for Liam except make him think he can do what he wants to do. And then and then when he's told to do something that's academic and he may resist, it's all of a sudden a big deal, you know. Exactly. Yeah. It it you have to carry through and, and treat them. And and I've always felt that when we got them to go along with us and raise that bar, you know, there were many times he could, you know get so much closer. But if you're going to constantly say, no, we're going to start here, they're never going to raise it. They're going to leave you right where you are and they never see the potential. Yeah, that's been our issue with things that are going on in school where the school system wants to give him a, a different kind of work focus. And, and we feel like, let's keep, let's keep it up there. Let him keep striving. Just like I want to, I want to reach for higher too, you know, and I'm not going to if I'm given, you know, easy work. If I had the same conversation with my daughter that they tell me to have with my son, they would pull me to the side and say, Miss Socks, we need to talk to you. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think even though like, you know, you look at some of the things we included Jason in and, you know, we thought whether he remembers the, the World War II or this or that or the history he did. But to be honest, he can recall a lot more things than, and in general conversation and talking to other people, you know, he's got the, those experiences because he was able to sit in those classes. So if you don't expose the kids, you're, it's just not fair to, uh, you know, leave them with that deficit of stuff that they could learn. 
can I ask you, Jason, how do you feel about all this? Because I think that you lived it. We can, you know, and that's, that's always my, my, my question is to, you know, for Liam, like what, what does he feel? Because I'm not talking about you in third person, but what's your experience living through everything that we're talking about? Well, it's just listening to a teacher named Mrs. Dealer and just back off when I need to. And I listen, I found out like she's my leader and I got pretend that she's like my niece, really. Like um, when she was in school, she always would be the line leader. So my teacher's like my line leader and I got to follow her every time I get in trouble kind of thing. This is true. Lillian does always want to be the line leader. That's an accurate, accurate statement. Um, Tell me what you mean when you're saying like you have to constantly follow the teacher. Like, like the same thing like a line leader would do. Like there's a line when I was in Woodrow School, so we just be on a line so they could fall into attention. We know what a line leader means, but what are you, what are you trying to get at? Like, do you think that you had to follow their instructions no matter what? Yes, no matter what, of the instructions. Okay. And what, Every day, address to me, just go to your desk and say, okay. <laughs> Do you feel like you you didn't have the same liberties to kind of, to resist that or to express any other kind of want? Like, I feel like, you know, we would go visit Liam's class and kids are just all over the place and there's Liam sitting at his desk doing what he's asked to do and and listening and he's the best behaved out of and I'm and my question is always why am I why am I made to fight so hard for this because it you know Liam is he behaves he's in class he's doing what he's supposed to do because he's never had a choice but to do anything other than that you know and that was definitely that was definitely something you experienced Jason because sometimes Mm -hmm there were folks in those classes, like mom said, that didn't want to be there. And Jason was the only one who did want to be there. And that led to kind of different behaviors Mm -hmm. for sure. I still remember in high school, before I would go to every class, I would go to wherever Jason was supposed to be to make sure that he ended up in the right classroom. Because we would have multiple times where aides would forget to make sure he got where he needed to be, or, oh, I forgot it was Wednesday and he had a health class instead of gym. And I'd be at the gym pulling him out to send him to health. So you know, a lot of a lot of what we did really mm-hmm. was together. I'd be like, "Hey, dude, wrong class! Like, let's go." I think a good example of like they they would only allow kids that were in the uh, special needs class to take special needs gym, which took them forever to walk down there for ten minutes of gym and walk out. And Jason loves being physically fit, so Jenny introduced him to what was it, the football coach? It was Mr. McFarland. And he took Jason every year. And Jason did no other gym with anybody else. He went to Mr. McFarland and worked out with him with the football team. So it's kind of like every now and then you get a teacher who will step up. And it's usually not a special ed teacher. It's the other teachers who just don't have preconceived ideas. Yeah, we recently had a, a, a dance class. Or not, this wasn't really recently. But uh, we have a dance class that Sophia goes to. Um, and we were like, well, maybe Liam could uh, jump in there. Or do we need to maybe go in there with them or do we need to hire someone to go in there with them an extra teacher and the guy who ran the dance class is a fantastic man said no put him in there let him dance well and that was that was jason how you got your first job we went into a pizza place jason had prepared a resume jay walked in first tried to give me the opportunity of hanging my resume he was making fun of my sister 
seeing that you're fired. Oh, hi, Jason. How are you doing? That's you're true. hired. That's exactly what happened. So he, so basically I called ahead and said, my brother has Down syndrome. He's looking for a job. He loves pizza. Could he work at, at your pizza place? And the owner said, I have no idea what Down syndrome is, but sure, bring him in. I don't care. Um, mm -hmm. And so we went in and we sat in for this interview. And <laughs> the deal we made was that I was going to sit and observe and just be there as a support person. And yeah, like Jason said, it was the second day and the guy, the guy came and was like, why are you still here? He's totally fine. He, he does, he knows exactly what he needs to do with this job. I'll pay him in pizzas. We're good to go. And you've had that job for what, 10 years now. And that was probably the best job Jason's ever had. And it was because the two of us walked in and said, Hey, like, here he is. Here's what he can do. Here's what he's interested in, in doing. And what do you do? You stock the drinks there. You fold boxes. I fold boxes. I do the other thing with this is a cooler. The cooler. So the other half of it, after I try to break down boxes, I get rid of them. Yeah. And, you know, he takes out the trash, breaks down the boxes, yeah, cleans the table that. sometimes. As far as advocacy, do you feel like as uh, Jason's big sister, have you always advocated? Was there a time in your life that you felt that shift to where you became aware of your need to advocate? Yeah, I. Uh, so my mom, I don't remember this story, but my mom always tells the story when she came home from the hospital. Um, she was she was sitting outside and and was you know processing everything with Jason and was crying. And I came out as a two and a half year old and said mommy, why are you crying? He's just a baby. And that kind of like defined my journey with Jason, which was we're the only siblings that each other has. I couldn't tell you what it's like to have a brother without Down syndrome because Jason's all I've got and I'm all he's got. And so, you know, I think for us, it was, it was always us against the world. When, when he was little, I, I, I subjected him to school and I used to try and copy his physical therapy and I used to send my mom report cards based on our play activities, how well he did. Mm -hmm. So I think I was a teacher maybe before I was an advocate for better or worse, but you know, I, I mentioned. So our podcast is called if we knew then, because there are so many things that we know now as parents that we would, it would have been so helpful and comforting to have known earlier in this in this journey. Uh, let me start with Jenny. Do you have an if we knew then that you could share with us? When I was younger, I was often trying to sculpt Jason to fit into the world. And I think as I've as I've grown up, I've learned much more about sculpting the world to understand Jason and to and to learn from him. And I think that would probably be the one thing that I wish I had had known earlier is that it wasn't about me trying to get Jason ready to get out there, but it was about me trying to bring all of his value out into the world and for them to get ready for him. Um, and, and that's really, I think, probably the, the most transformation that I've seen from myself as a sibling as, as we've grown up. Thank you, Jenny. Grace, do you have an if we knew then statement for our audience? I think my um, if I knew then would be to receive a congratulations project letter for my family um, so that I could personally read from another person with Down syndrome and hear their words when I was younger and also for my family to hear it. Um, but I would have loved to hear the sibling perspective because similar to Jenny, I think I wish I learned earlier on that I didn't need to be the protective older sister of my sister with Down syndrome. Um, because I learned early on, she's very capable of showing the world um, her potential and the love that she has to bring to others. Wonderful, Grace. Robin? I think if I knew then what I know now, I think I would have tried to stay in the moment more. 
I think we, Mark and I were always Jason's number one advocates. We were constantly looking for what was ahead, you know, looking for um, what was going to be coming up around the corner for him, ways to include him. Um, I think we, we constantly said, let's leave no stone unturned. It was always like, oh, you know, this is going to be coming up. We have to head in this direction. And I think looking back now, I wish we hadn't worried so much about the future and had just kind of stayed in the moment and uh, enjoyed that a little bit longer. Yeah, we're always trying to just, can we, because we use that word fight, and we, we said that we like to use another word. But not only that, but just we've adjust, we're using the same word, but we're just adjusting in our mind what that word means. And to know that it's a, it's a good fight that's going to be productive and, and that we don't need to stress about. It. I mean, of course, as much. Of course, we always get kind of fired up sometimes or we'll hear – just yesterday we had someone say something that works, works with Liam in school. And she said something that just was like, what? She made, used small sure. group setting in a letter. Oh, he worked so well in a small group setting, and I just went, mm. Uh, wait. And it just became this long letter, and I said, it'll be so nice when someone can go small group, and I don't put my feet in the ground, because that's happened before, where someone will say something just off the cuff, and it's like, oh, he worked so well in a small group. And then the next thing you know, two months later, we're looking at that same report saying, because of this, this is what we're going to do. I think you always have to be on your toes because a simple saying like that, you know it's going to, and, and like you said earlier, there are families who, you know, don't have the time to follow all these IEPs and this and that and keep up with it. And, it, and it, you know, like you said, you hate to use the word fight, but, you know, if they don't have advocates behind them, they're going to put them wherever they want. Well, like a lot of parents with children with Down syndrome, we've had the rug pulled from under us a few times, and it doesn't take more than a few times to make you kind of on your guard about things. So, but if we can go by your if you knew then statement and try to be a little, maybe take take a little breath. I mean, we're always working on that, you know, but also <laughs> kind of be on your guard still, you know, <laughs> don't, don't let your guard down too much, but yes. You know, I think this, going through school is probably the hardest, you know, because I think, you know, as Liam gets older and stuff, he'll start advocating for himself. You know, you want to give him the skills to doing that. And I, you know, when he starts making the decisions he wants to do, like, does he want to go on and take, you know, college courses? Does he want to work and things? Then it eases up a bit because you feel like, um, you know, this is his plan. This is the direction he wants to go with his life. But school is really difficult because I feel like, they're just going to lead you down the, the path of least resistance and, um, you know, and you're constantly on top of it. So it is a tough time. I think what's been tough with school for, for us is that we kind of, we've, we've lived in society our, our entire lives until having Liam. So we, we understand, I can understand society's angle and, and how that needs to change, but I understand it. But when you're talking about educational system, um, and wanting the best out of every child, um, and you see that the school system is set in these these ways that are from so long ago that aren't aren't being moved. Um, you, you feel like, hey, I, this this needs to be done now. You know, like like way long ago, right? So, one other thing that you had said where you got out of the school system and you saw it kind of push back. That push is always there. I do see that we're making changes in our school. Um, and in, in Liam's education for hopefully for 
people behind us, but I do, I do, um, I do see how that without that resistance, it, it does pop back. Exactly. Yeah. One of the things with this podcast that we want to do, because we're always seeing questions and we're always seeing um, parents talk from a point of view that's so, oh, thank you so much for these things that it's not a gift. It's not something that we need to earn. I mean, people earned it before us. They went and they fought and they and they earned that as a right. And I don't think people understand that it is a right to an education in uh, an inclusive classroom amongst your peers with the supports that you need to access your curriculum. And we know that sentence. And I, I just, I want everybody to have that sentence because it's almost if you know that sentence and you say that sentence, then they go, mm, they know. You have to connect with other families and in your district. Um, Jason grew up with another young girl, exact same age. They went through school together. We received um, psych report where all the pronouns were she, she, I happened to speak to the parent, our lines were flipped. Like my first sentence was her last sentence. He had basically taken two individuals who both had Down syndrome and wrote the same report. And, you know, had we not communicated with each other, because I said, you know, he was harsh because it was like, you know, because of the, his disability, he will never do this. And I'm like, these are kind of harsh comments. And we had it thrown out and we never tested in the school again. We were like, you know, we have the right to do outside testing. And I never, you know, because they'll take the quickest way sometimes. And let me ask you a question for each of you, because you guys have already been on the road so much longer than we have. What are the changes that you've seen the most? And what do you want to change? What, what change do you want to see? Right. I think overall opportunities have opened up. I think um, the opportunities for continued education for individuals, you know, with Down syndrome, the opportunities for independent living. We're in the process of setting Jason up with a roommate in his own apartment. So those things are changing. I think that's really good to see. The problem is the people you're dealing with sometimes still have their preconceived ideas. So in the process of setting up into, you know, independent living, you'll still meet up with people whose opinions haven't changed much. So, um, you know, I think maybe there's a delay in the catch up with it, but, um, but I do think opportunities are certainly opening up you know, especially for young adults. Jason and I were just deliberating and, and Jason had talked a little bit earlier about attitudes as really the thing that um, he thinks, you know, needs to change the most. And I think we've seen, you know, mm -hmm. Jason's life now before it was really school focused when he was younger. And now that we have the ability to kind of live independently, to choose pals, to be able to identify friends and communities that are safe. I think that that's become something that we've been able to see change just in kind of his age range, would you say that's right? Mm -hmm. And yep. I and I think I think kind of from a pal's perspective, I've experienced that as well. When we first started, we had a lot of siblings who were our volunteers, and it was folks who kind of were already in the community. Now, when we look at the people that we're bringing in through our programs, it's folks who have never met someone with Down syndrome before, who heard about this as a good experience or something that somebody said, you've got to try it, and they're coming in and learning things they never imagined to learn, and they never even knew, you know, they never even knew someone with Down syndrome before, and they're stepping into this world with us and saying, okay, I'm ready to learn. And so I think that's something that we're, that we're kind of seeing uh -huh. as we both grow older. I think something that I would like to see change is perspective, similar to what Jason said about attitudes. I think that the world needs to understand better um, what people with Down syndrome and disabilities are capable of. 
And when we go to PALS, it's something that I really see. Um, we take trip, like day trips um, with the whole group of people. And I always notice people coming up to us and saying like, what is this camp? Like, what are you guys doing? And we're always setting our foot in the right direction. I feel like people see us treating people with Down syndrome, just like our friends and just like our other peers. And I think that is paving the way to changing these perspectives that we want to see in the world. Well, Jenny had, had mentioned uh, seeing volunteers that really didn't have a lot of experience with Down syndrome prior to volunteering. And it reminded me of Colton's story earlier. Uh, Colton, did you want to add something to that? Yeah, definitely. I, I think just the idea of inclusion is so important. And it's inclusion is such a, a buzzword nowadays. And I think a lot of people know um, what it means, but you can't fully understand what what inclusion is until you've lived it and i you know i i knew what the word meant before i came to pals um back in 2017 but i i couldn't fully grasp what what it was until i you know made genuine friendships with individuals with down syndrome jason was one of my first friends that i made with down syndrome we spent an entire week together paired up at camp and it was completely transformative for me. You know, I, I was able to have a lot of meaningful conversations with Jason where we found shared interests and, you know, just really, just really connected on so many levels. And it, it helped me to internalize this idea of inclusion that um, we are, as you often hear, just so much more alike than we are different. And it was a really meaningful experience. When you say transformative, can you give us insight into how it was transformative? I think um, prior to my experience with PALS, I, I, would, I wouldn't shy away from conversations with, like particularly with individuals with disabilities, but I think that it goes even farther, you know, to, to any individual who um, is different than ourselves or different than the communities that we grew up in. Oh, <laughs> joys of recording at home. Um, and, Matt, like since since that experience, since my first week at Pals where I made so many friends with Down syndrome, I I seek out those connections more often with all all types of different people, people from different backgrounds than my own. And it's really just it's inspired me a lot to to make those meaningful friendships and try and find common ground with folks. That's a really great note That's to great. go out on, Colton, and and some real good food for thought because it's not always easy making those first steps. And I think you guys do great stuff. I'm so excited. I was so excited about this letter because I think it's so needed and I hope everybody reaches out for one. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. We wish you so much luck with the growth of the program. Uh, we are looking forward to a Southern California camp opening up real soon. Uh, and it was just a real pleasure getting to talk to you all again. Take care. Have a great evening. Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod, and you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod, or visit our website, ifweknewthen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. Amazon.